What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. A super exciting announcement to kick off this episode. For the first time in over a year, I am running a brand new free masterclass. This is a masterclass that I've never done before. It's brand new. The content is fresh, and it's happening on Sunday, March 19th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you'd like to come, we will leave a link in the show notes for you to sign up and enroll. This masterclass is called 10 growth codes, keys to building a lucrative coaching business in an oversaturated industry. So if you are an early coach or an aspiring coach, this is going to be an excellent masterclass for you to come to. We're giving away so much free value. We're going to cover the skills that you need to become successful, what you need to know before creating any product, how to be seen as a leader in your industry, how to convert followers into clients, the honest truth about scaling to multiple six figures, the secret to sales magnetism. And I'm also going to guide you guys through a special visualization to help you connect to your soul vision of your business. And we're going to finish off with some EFT tapping for success. So there's going to be so much goodness packed inside of this masterclass. It's going to be about two hours, so much free value. And on top of it, I've gone a little bit rogue and I decided that everyone who comes to this masterclass is also going to get access to 10 days of free business coaching with me. Yes, It's insane, I know, and it's also very, very exciting. So if you are on the precipice of starting your business, if you are in the early stages, if you're wanting to grow and scale, come to this masterclass, go sign up. You will get access to 10 days of free business coaching with me after the masterclass. And it's just gonna be an amazing time. I'm so excited, I'm amped for it. I haven't done a new masterclass in a minute and the energy is there. I'm just, I'm feeling it, I'm ready to roll. So I can't wait to guide this on the 19th and I hope to see you there. To sign up and reserve your seat, simply click the link in the show notes below or head to my Instagram at underscore Samantha Daily and click the link in my bio and sign up for the free Growth Codes Masterclass. I'll see you there. For this week's episode of the show, we are joined by Marie Wald. She is an incredibly successful business coach. She is an OG of this industry and has over 10 years experience online. She got her start in fitness coaching when she was still in college and has since built not one, but two majorly successful online businesses. In this conversation, we also chat about inconsistency, CEO mindset, the blessing and curse of being a high achiever, characteristics that point to someone not succeeding, how she balances feminine and masculine energies, and she shares a personal story of public betrayal and the importance of resiliency. All right, without further ado, let's dig into this episode. Welcome to the Makeshift Happen podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Daly entrepreneur, life coach, and your no BS bestie here to bring you all things mindset, manifestation, and personal development. This podcast is designed to help you expand your mind and up-level your life. So turn the volume up and roll the windows down if you're coming along for the ride. Let's go make shift happen. Welcome to the show, Marie. We are so excited that you're here. I can't wait to dive into this conversation. Congrats on all the things that are happening in your world right now. I know you're like moving through so much with selling your house and getting a new house and moving and launching and all the things. So 
yeah, congrats on everything that's going Thank on for you. you. Yeah. I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, I know all the listeners are going to be super intrigued just to hear your perspective on things. You're such an OG in the space. You have so mm-hmm. much knowledge to share. You've been in the game for a long time. Your content is always fire. So we have so much to dig into, but I thought we would start with some rapid fire questions and then we can kind of dig a little bit deeper into the nitty gritty of things. Yeah, yeah? let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So the first question is, what is something that you used to do a lot, but don't do anymore? Um, sorry, if you can hear my dogs barking. Um, I would say busy work. <laughs> I used to work so much. Am I, am I supposed to elaborate? And these are rapid fire. Yeah. I mean, like I'm rap, I'm really bad at rapid fire as well. I was <laughs> like, like going to a many whole words? story. What is my word limit? My short answer is busy work. That's okay. Wait, I want you to elaborate a little bit on that one. Cause okay. I resonate with that a lot. Like I find myself getting stuck in like stupid rabbit holes and like wasting mm-hmm. hours. And I'm like, Oh, I worked for eight hours today, but that's because my actual work was only four hours. And the rest yeah. of the time I was doing God knows what. Uh huh. And I can't say I'm perfect. Like I have ADHD. I sometimes procrastinate. I get distracted. I also love like fucking around on Canva for an hour. Like, you know, the, yes. it happens to the best of us. Right. But I think back to maybe like five years ago in my business, even three years ago, or two, like I've progressively gotten better year over year at this. But I think back to my business in earlier stages and just like how many hours I spent doing stuff that didn't move the needle. And now, obviously, I have a team and really good systems and stuff, and that makes a huge difference. But even when you're early on in your business, being able to discern and like ruthlessly prioritize what's actually important can streamline your workload so much. And I would say I was working like twice as much as I actually needed to. Yeah, I, f- yeah. I feel that so much. I think ADHD plays a big role in that too, because there's a, a- piece of that where I was listening to a podcast just the other day and they were kind of talking about how with an ADHD brain, it's almost like everything it is looked at as the same value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you're doing something that's really important. You're about to like submit a, like a, an offer or someone is ready to, to pay for your program. And you have to send them like the checkout links. And like, that's mm-hmm. a really important thing to be doing. You could be doing that. And then you get an Instagram notification and your brain is like, Oh, let's see who commented yeah. on my thing. It's like equal importance when the mm-hmm. things aren't actually equally important. Mm-hmm. How do you, is there anything that you, that you've done? Like do you not have your phone near you? Like, what do you do to like manage so that you don't get distracted? Yeah. So one thing that I know is super popular in our space now is like I've batched my days. So I tend to have more themed days. Like I have one day a week where I'm just doing coaching calls. And like, if I don't do anything else, that day was still a win. And I have like CEO days. I have days where it's more about content and planning. Um, So I think that helps a lot because then I'm not context switching is like the formal word for switching the types of tasks you're doing and you just lose so much brain power and focus when you do that. So I think that's one thing. But even within my days, I will time block. So I'll have like work sprints. I have my little timer cube here and I will do like 30 minute work sprint, 60 minute work sprint. And that also really helps if you're the type of person where you look at your to-do list and you're like, oh my God, there's so many things. But if you actually took time to like break it down, I have it looks like a huge list, but it's 10 things that will take me five minutes and you can just mm. like knock stuff out. Um, so I think time blocking, time batching, 
And kind of the purpose of time blocking is, yeah, you have no distractions. You're not like working on anything else for that amount of time. Cause we all love getting into that flow state where you're like super focused, deep work, like your brain and cells are just like vibing and we all love that, but it's hard to get there. So I think it's a combination of like not having distractions, but again, that like ruthless prioritization. And I think some of that's practice and like experience, but I also teach my clients how to do this, where we figure out like, what are the, what are your revenue generating activities? What are the things that are important and urgent? So like the Eisenhower matrix, there's like important and urgent, important, not urgent, not urgent, not important. There's also like urgent, not important. So um, kind of prioritizing that way and identifying like, what are the things that are actually making you more money or saving you time or getting your clients better results? Like what's actually moving the needle and like everything else can wait. Yeah. I love that. I use that same matrix for figuring out. And I teach this to my clients too, of like, it's the same thing, but it's figuring out what to delegate and what to mm-hmm. give away in your business of like yep. what I love and what I'm good at, mm-hmm. what I love and I'm not good at the same thing. You go through that, like, um, that, uh, quadrant there. So I love that. One thing that I'll, I'll add to that, that I like to do is I actually use, instead of having like a to-do list on paper or on a notes app or something, I started making my Google calendar, my to-do mm-hmm. list so yeah. that I could actually physically see the time blocks. Like yes. from 10 AM to 10, 15, I'm reviewing this email or whatever mm-hmm. it is and, and doing it that way so that I also didn't end up putting way too many things on the two. Yeah. To-do Cause it's list so easy to be day. like, Oh, I can for sure handle all of this. But then when it comes time to actually like distribute it on your day, like mm, maybe not like plate <laughs> has been overfilled. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Okay. What is something that you wish you were more consistent with? Hmm. I would say maybe like planning content ahead, which as someone who's like known as being a content expert and like content strategy is super my jam and I help all of my clients plan their content, maybe wouldn't be expected (laughs) to hear that I rarely plan my content ahead. Yeah. Oh my God. I used to be like that so much too. I literally just started planning content this year. Yeah. Like my whole business is always just like when I I'm going to post whatever I want when I feel like it, when I have the time. So yeah, that was like my thing. And then this year I was like I'm going to do that. I'm going to be more consistent I feel with like, the planning. Yeah, I feel like it's a progression. Like I still stand by recommending planning your content and like having strategy and thinking ahead. I think I've just been doing it for so long that the strategy is second nature. Like I'm not even thinking through the process that I teach my clients anymore, it's subconscious. Like I have far surpassed my 10,000 hours. So I know what I've already posted this week. I know what else I need to talk about. I know like what content goal I'm going to hit, what format I need to do. Like it's all kind of happening like in the background of my brain all the time. So it's, it's something that I just don't need to sit down and plan ahead. But I do think that that would make my day slightly less chaotic and I would post during peak times more often. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really what it is too. Cause I would, yeah. I would always get to like the end of the day and be like, okay, I'm going to post. And I knew exactly how to create a post and how to do it. Right. But, I can knock it out, but right, it's exactly. like 6 PM now, not ideal, so. but it's kind of like where you get to that space of like expertise where you're like, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, like, learn the rules, learn the skills, like know how to play the game. And then once you're there, you can decide whether or not you want to like bend the rules, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. What is the hardest experience in your business, Ben? Mm, 
I always say that entrepreneurship is just this like giant personal development exercise. <laughs> um, so there's so many things about it that are hard. And I say that as like, it's hard and also it's super worth it. But I think especially in coaching, the learning how to both care so much about your clients and be super connected with your clients and be super invested in their success and also holding this level of like neutrality and objectivity about how they show up or how they relate to you or how they communicate with you or even um, when like contract violations happen, stuff like that I used to take so personally and it would just completely derail like my energy, my mental state. It was something that used to be so hard for me. And like, obviously I don't enjoy that kind of stuff or I don't enjoy clients like not showing up for our work or not reaching their potential. But I had to go through that, like being repeatedly triggered, having my heart broken (laughs) repeatedly to get to that space where I'm like, okay, I can be deeply connected to my clients and like care so much and also kind of hold a level of like neutrality around our relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So true. Okay. Last one of these rapid fires is what is something you think a lot of people misunderstand or get wrong about the coaching space? Mm, Like people in in it or from the outside looking in? Whatever comes to you first. Mm, That's a good question. There are so many directions that I could go in, but I think something that's coming up a lot in my conversations right now, because I'm in a launch for like my beginner program is the idea of like, I'm too late. It's too saturated. Mm -hmm. When in reality, the coaching space is like still on its like early trajectory. Like it's projected to double again in the next, I think it's five years, uh, 2028. It's expected to hit like $45 billion market value. Um, and so it's the people who are like, yeah, I just think it's too late for me. Or like, I should have started earlier or there's too many people already saying what I want to say. There's nothing new I can add. And one of my podcast guests recently, uh, Asia absent, she was like, girl, there are how many brands of the same bottled water at the grocery store. And like, they're all still successful. And so it's not that you need to like, it's not that you needed to time the industry or it's not that you need to reinvent the wheel and revolutionize the coaching space to like carve out your own niche and like be super successful. And if anything, all the success stories that already exist are just like proof that there's room for more. Yeah. Well, I think like that, we kind of have that mentality with a lot of things in life Mm -hmm. of like, oh, well, it's too late now. So I just like won't do it. But it's Mm -hmm. like, like people do that all the time with uh, things that they've studied in college or something like, oh, I've gotten this far. So now I'm just going to do it. Right. But you hate it. Like, yeah. So you're going to spend the rest of your life doing something that you hate just because you like spent four years on it. Right. I've spent four years on this. So like, I guess I need to spend another 40, like, whatever. I'm in too deep, which is like, that's, the the sunk cost fallacy, right? Like one of the only yeah. things I retained from econ <laughs> class in college is the sunk cost fallacy of I've already spent this much or I've already waited this long. So I might as well just like screw it. Yeah. Yeah. Like remain in perpetual suffering for, mm-hmm. for what? I don't know. So mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Human behavior. Okay. So before you, to kind of like go back a little bit, before you transitioned into to business coaching, mm-hmm. you also grew like a multi six figure fitness business, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So that, that's how you got your start. So I'm curious to know 
what was your gateway into entrepreneurship? Like give mm-hmm. us kind of the backstory of how you initially became an entrepreneur or a, yeah. a coach of any kind. Yeah. So I usually say that I sold my first thing on the internet when I was 16, but I think it was actually before then I used to play this like horse girl game where I would, people would pay me to like design their little like profiles. And I would like just, I think I learned Photoshop when I was like 12 and I would just design people's things on the internet. So if I think all the way back, like I've been entrepreneurial and thinking about like my angle (laughs) and how to like monetize my interests and my gifts forever, like for as long as I remember. Um, but what I'm doing now, and you you spoke to me like being an OG, what I'm doing now kind of started like the first domino was when I started my current Instagram account in October of 2012. So like over a decade ago, I just started sharing my own health and fitness journey as like really an accountability diary. There was no such thing as like an Instagram influencer. Like there were some bloggers back then who were getting paid a little, but like, no, it was nothing like the industry that we have now. And How so I just started you at this time. Cause I think you're like I a was, year younger than me. So you must've been like a teenager in twenty. Yeah, I was 16. So I was in high school. I did it first anonymously. Cause I was like super, I didn't want anyone to know about it. Um, super scared of being judged. And again, like it wasn't a thing to be like an influencer. So I just started posting more for like accountability, but I also really liked Con, like I liked taking photos and I liked writing and that was just, it started evolving into like a form of self-expression and I started building a community and I hit like 10,000 followers within, I think it was like six months, which is wild back then. And by the way, this is the era of like the Valencia filter, square yeah. photos, like Instagram stories don't exist, like chronological feed. This is like the the wild west <laughs> of, of social yeah. media. And so I gradually just start building this community. I was really into like clean eating and developing recipes. So the first thing I sold in that, like, I guess business was I sold these like recipe eBooks for like seven to $10. I figured out how to make them on like PowerPoint. (laughs) I would save them as PDFs. I figured out how to get a sales page. (laughs) Canva also wasn't a thing. Yeah. Canva didn't exist. Yeah, I had my little digital camera and I'd have to upload them to my computer. I figured out how to make a sales page. I figured out how to digitally or like deliver a digital download, all this stuff. Like I, the only thing that like was done for me was my dad bought my domain. And still to this day, that's like the only daddy's money that I've ever gotten for my business. And so that's how it started. And then over time, being a fitness influencer became a thing. Um, and I was one of like the first people to work with brands and have like brand deals. And I continued doing that through college. I eventually did some bikini competitions and I spent, you know, thousands and thousands of hours, like researching nutrition, researching fitness, like trying workouts in the gym. Like it was eat, sleep, breathe, (laughs) health and fitness. Um, and that was like what all my content was. So eventually people asked me if I could help them with their journey. And I was like, I mean, I'll give it a shot. (laughs) Like that's, that's something I can for sure try. And I knew that I could probably help people who are at least like, if, if you're a couple steps behind me, I can help you. Like if you're a beginner, I can definitely help you get healthier, get stronger, get consistent in the gym. So I started online coaching. That was like really 
baby phase of like the online coaching industry. There was no like industry standard didn't exist. I could think of maybe like one or two other people that were doing it. And it was a small circle too, right? So there was like not many people doing it. There was no one teaching the strategy or the structure behind the business. So it was like really rough for a while. Did you have anyone at that time that you remember that you were like looking up to at all, even if it was just like seeing what they were doing, if they weren't like actually mentoring you, let's say, cause that also kind yeah. of doesn't, didn't have the same culture as it does now. Yeah. I don't think there was no one who had the business model that I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I want to do. And that's kind of crazy to say, cause now I have like what I would say is my dream business model, but that has been built over just like taking the next best step and like making the next best decision, not because I knew that it was a thing back then. I would say the first person I really looked up to for more so their like lifestyle was Jenna Kutcher. And that's why I hired her as my first mentor. And she didn't really know that much about the the online coaching space because again, it was so new, but just seeing the behind the scenes of her business. And this was like the only mastermind she ever ran. Um, seeing the behind the scenes of her business and seeing what the other people in the mastermind were doing just got my wheels turning. And that's when I started, like I like tore down my whole business model and rebuilt it. <laughs> and and that's how I developed all the frameworks that I teach now. Yeah. So interesting. So you're clearly a high achiever. You've, you know, built yeah. and scaled yeah. multiple businesses. I know that we're both threes on the Enneagram, which Indeed. is also the achiever, mm-hmm. right? So I'd love to just like kind of chat back and forth, like what, what you think some of the pros and cons are of having this archetype of being someone Mm -hmm. that's obsessed with progress and succeeding. Yeah. So I'm like being so real right now when I say this, but I think one of the, the best parts or the best secrets to success that has gotten me really far is like, I'm a little delusional. Like I thoroughly believe like if someone else can do it why can't I or like if this can be done why wouldn't it be by me and I can I can do almost anything halfway decent kind of like energy and I think that a lot of that is like the achiever in me of like okay well I just trust myself to like figure it out and I'm gonna I'll just keep going until I like get the result that I want so I think that is the big pro is like if if I really set my mind to something and I know this is so true for like all of my three clients or even my eight clients like if we set our mind to something nothing will get in the way <laughs> of us doing the thing or getting the thing that we want um but I do obviously believe that can get a little toxic we can like pile too many things on our plate we can have too high of expectations we can project our standards onto other people who don't have the same priorities or values as us so there i mean there's a lot of cons but like also a lot of pros yeah oh my god my brother used to say this thing when we were growing up he was like whatever you can do i can do better i mean it's mm-hmm. not an original statement but i just remember him like saying that all the time and like, I don't know if it was the, a combination of the way that we were raised or like just our personality types, but like, I definitely have that also that like delusional belief of like, I'm really good at like anything that I do. Right. Like, like me, if I'm committed, you know, there's nothing that can stop me. Yeah. yeah. Like 
cooking, wrapping gifts, like aesthetics, mm-hmm. home decoration, like design, like whatever I'm like, whatever it is, I'm, I'm good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think mm-hmm. like it's, it comes back to like a, um, a level of like confidence that I think really mm-hmm. carries you through the ups and downs yeah. and the challenges of entrepreneurship, which is why people that have that kind of personality or that archetype or that, that character can go so far because it's mm-hmm. like, no matter how hard things get, or no matter how difficult or impossible or big things seem, it's almost like you're hungry enough to just like keep going. And I, I still relate to that. And I don't know, do you think, do you think that can be taught or do you think it's inherent? Like, what do you see with your clients who like really don't, they start out totally like opposite end of the spectrum, do not Mm -hmm. have that confidence of like, I'm good at everything. Like they're more of like the, Oh my God, who's going to care what I say. Right. I think that there is an innate like programming that you can't necessarily like manufacture or like plug into someone that doesn't have that naturally. But I do think you can get really freaking close with time and with consistency because what's actually like what's mostly true about confidence outside of just that like delusional confidence is that action and repetition and like proof of concept is what really creates that like true confidence (laughs) and that like core competency. And so if someone can get past that initial hurdle of like, oh, this is hard. Like I am going to be bad at it. I don't know. Like that self-doubt, if they can overcome that self-doubt and let themselves be bad and hang in, hang in there long enough to like get that initial traction and they start getting proof of concept and they start getting that evidence of like, oh, I am kind of good at this. And like, I can do this. If you do that enough times and if you trust that the confidence follows the action enough times, I do think that that can be something that you grow for sure. But it takes time. And again, you have to get over that initial hurdle where it's like really messy and hard and chaotic and like ugly before it gets better. Yeah, I agree. And I think for a lot of people, there's like some deep inner work that has to Mm -hmm. take place in order for them to get over that first initial hump to even be able to believe that there's someone that people will want to listen to or that it's possible for them even to just create that like vision of like, if it's possible for for somebody else, I know it's possible for me. Um, But yeah, I think I, I totally agree with that. For sure. So this is kind of of the same vein, but since you've been in the industry for so long, you've been in the online space for like over a decade, like we said, you've talked to probably thousands of like early stage entrepreneurs at this point. If we were to get like a little spicy for a second and talk about, yeah, like some of this, let's just get candid and spicy. What are some of the signs or like characteristics that point to someone not succeeding in the online coaching Mm. space. Like maybe we can call them red flags. I don't know, but it's like, okay, if you, if you see this, it's like, "Mm, I don't know how well this is going to work out for you. Yeah. Okay. I just made a post about this and I want to make sure I'm not missing anything. Okay. So yeah, I made a post really about this and I almost never focus on like the negative (laughs) because I believe so much in people's potential, but also I think as a coach, like one of your, one of your 
roles is to like reflect back people's patterns and kind of call people out on their shit. So I think a few things are like, if someone is in the pattern of like always waiting for the right time, like if you're constantly waiting for, oh, this just like feels really hard or it's not good timing, or I'm going to wait till I can like save a a little bit more money, or I'm going to wait till I have 67 more certifications, or I'm going to wait till I have my logo or whatever. I think you will always find an excuse to wait. And so if someone is in a pattern of looking for the right time or to feel more qualified or to feel ready or do more research, that can be just like the kiss of death. Like that can be the thing that just keeps you from never even starting. Like Mm -hmm. you, you have to lean into that, like the doubt, the uncertainty, the unknown, the discomfort, because if you want to grow, like growth by, by definition is uncomfortable. Like you, you cannot have both. And so I think that's part of it. Um, I think a lot of early stage entrepreneurs also kind of have one foot out the door all the time, just in case it doesn't work out. And that just does not work. Like if you are constantly like hedging your bets, like not trying to take any risk, you're you're a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like what if it fails? It's going to fail if you have one foot out the door. If you're already plotting your escape plan, you have to have a level of like conviction that it's like I'm it's only a matter of time. Like it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. That level of like co- conviction needs to happen. Like you cannot half ass it, especially cuz like we were talking about the the early stages requires so much like just reps, getting reps in and like developing those skills, those core competencies, that like level of confidence in your abilities where that that shit's like hard (laughs) for a minute. So if you have one foot out, you're always looking for your like excuse to dip. You're going to find it. You're not going to last. And then I think the third thing that I put on this post was that like just waiting to have support. I see a lot of people say like, oh, I owe it to myself to figure it out on my own first. Like when people say that to me, I'm like, how does that make any sense? Like I owe it to myself to suffer as much as possible before I actually know how to do this right. Like that just makes no sense to me. And so I think just people overall, like the theme is kind of looking for an excuse to not go all in is like a huge red flag. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to avoid the risk when Mm -hmm. risk is required. That's part of the formula. That's part of the formula for success. So if you're, it's like making, it's baking a cake. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and you need butter. And if butter is the risk and you're like, oh, but I'm not going to put butter in. It's like, well, your cake is going to taste like shit then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or similarly, like people will say like, oh, can you guarantee that I'll get results? And it's like, legally no (laughs) like I literally cannot legally guarantee results but also if you are someone that needs a guarantee to take action entrepreneurship is probably not for you and I know that that's probably going to be like a little triggering for some people it's not it's something you could of course work through and like look at that but there's no guarantees for anything even this far in business, I start a launch. I'm like, based on our projections, based on historically how launches have go it have gone over the many, many times we've done them, this is what's probably going to happen. But also it could totally flop. <laughs> like, like there's just never a guarantee for anything. So if you're looking for a guarantee to even get started, 
it's going to be a bad time. I, th- I, I think about that, like also in terms of investing in anything, whether you're investing yeah. in yourself, you're investing in learning a skill, you're investing in a coach or you're investing in the stock market. Imagine mm-hmm. that you're trying to make your money work for you and grow on on its own so that you have more to retire with or whatever the goal is, but you're like, hang on, I'm just going to call the, you know, I'm going to call the, um, the stock market and ask them just to make sure if I put this money in this stock, am I guaranteed to turn a profit? It's like, well, no, obviously not. It could go up. It could go down. Like that's the point because risk is part of the formula. As we were saying, it's part of Mm -hmm. the growth process of gaining anything out Mm -hmm. of anything. You could go to college and be like, am I guaranteed to get a degree? They can't guarantee you that you still have to show up. You have to go to class. You have to pass the test. You have to do the work, Mm -hmm. right? People, but we've created like this, there's certain things in society where the risk is more acceptable to us. Mm -hmm. And so I think for a lot of people, the the risk around entrepreneurship or investing in themselves is still seen as kind of like, Ooh, like extra risky because it's not something that we're used to where it's like, well, it's a risk actually to spend one hundred, two hundred thousand dollars to go to a university in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and you could fail or get kicked out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, that's or just, just what not it is. even use your degree. Like how many people do you know that have a degree and they do not need it for the job that they're in or the career path they're in? Obviously, there are some exceptions. <laughs> of course, like I sure hope my doctor went to medical school, but like. I did not need my two business degrees to do what I do now. Like I remember like three things from college and none of them, like I could have just looked it up on Google. I know my partner is so adamant. He's like, our kids are not going to college. I'm like, well, okay. Well, if they want to be a doctor, they're going to go to college. But right. yeah, I don't know. I it's so the world is changing so much. It's so interesting, isn't it? When, yeah. when we were, when we were in that, but did you go to school? Yeah, I went to college. Yep. I went to college. I have two degrees and it's, I, I already was like growing my business by the time I graduated college and I nearly dropped out like a year from being done. I ended up graduating a semester early and just being like, how do I leave here as fast as possible? Cause it's holding me back. Like the, the time I was spending in class and like doing my homework and all of that was like eating into the time I wanted to be spending growing my business. Yeah, I know. Cause that's what, cause for a second, you literally just said you had two business degrees, but then for a second, I was thinking about how you were like 17 and already making eBooks and selling stuff. So I was like, wait, did you go to school? But yes, yeah. you did. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So you can, you can definitely relate. Yeah. I got a marketing degree, strategic communication, and I love my experience in college. Like I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I had a really amazing time, but yeah. I don't know. Like, do I, did I need that to do what I'm doing now? No. But would I have been able to know that at that stage? No. Cause I also had, yeah. I mean, you kind of had a different experience where you knew, like you had a, a proof of concept already of like what you wanted to do and where you wanted to go. Not before I, college though. Like I enrolled into college with my, the major I declared originally was biology. So, <laughs> cause I was like a little fitness nerd. Right. So I was like, Ooh, yeah. I want to study like physiology and biology and like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I don't get to make like mood boards in biology. (laughs) No vision boards. Like there's no vibes in biology. No. Oh my God. That's hilarious. Okay. That kind of leads perfectly into something else that I wanted to ask you about in terms of like masculine and feminine energies when it comes to business. I'd love to know like what percentage of your business would you say is 
kind of that more masculine, like planning, strategizing, actioning, and what percentage of your business or your time do you feel is like visioning, creating, embodying, playing? Yeah. So I always have a hard time articulating like the evolution here because again, like my business started kind of on accident by me just like exploring my interests and my creativity and like sharing my journey. So I think from that perspective, like I was kind of leading with my feminine energy of like creativity and like not having like specific achievements or metrics like in mind, but also I'm an Enneagram three. So I was like, if I'm going to do this thing, if I'm going to express myself, I'm going to (laughs) win at expressing myself. So I think my default has always been more on the masculine, but like the feminine, the creativity, the flow has always been the kind of like craving, like driving it all. Um, and the times where I've gotten too far into my masculine of being like, just so hustle, do perform, like validate idea, take action, do all the things. And then the feminine has to kind of get like pushed aside. Those are always the times that I've like burnt myself out or felt completely like unaligned with the direction my business was going. So if I had to put a number, I would say I naturally almost like when I'm stressed or just not being intentional, my default would be like 70% masculine. But when I'm actually feeling really balanced, like my own personal balance, I would say is more closer to 50-50 of like, I, I need the structure and I need kind of like benchmarks or goals to reverse engineer from, but I need that space for creativity and I need to play. I need to go outside. I need to be with my horse. I need to hang out with my dogs. I need to like make content just because it feels fun. And if I'm like not, if I don't have time for that, I'm like not a happy person and I'm burning out. It doesn't matter how much money I'm making. I like hate it. Yeah. I kind of, I I mean, I so relate to that. And this is so interesting of like the default, right. Of Mm -hmm. where, what, when, when in stress, like, Mm -hmm. what do you go to? And I I feel the same way of like, when I'm in overwhelm or stress or like fear or whatever it is, it's kind of like the default is okay. Return to the masculine, which is like, Mm -hmm. make a plan strategy, Mm -hmm. get it done, like pump something out, like let's figure it out. Right. So I think it's interesting for everyone to kind of look at within themselves, like what is your default sort of coping mechanism when it comes to like the, the, the masculine and feminine energies, however you want to look at it, but it's also kind of similar to like attachment styles. If you're Mm -hmm. familiar with like the attachment styles, whereas like you could your default of like, okay, there's stress or something's happening. Things are crumbling or you're scared or you need to make more money or whatever it is. And so then what is the default? Is it anxious. So lean in, right. Which would Mm -hmm. kind of be like masculine energy Mm -hmm. of like, okay, well let's fix this. Let's solve it. Let's figure it out, make the plan, put it into action. Or is it the avoidant of like, oh my gosh, it's all too much. I just need to take a step back. Mm -hmm. I need to like reconnect with myself. I need to go outside. I need to like get away from it and like not Mm -hmm. look at it and not, not have it near me kind of thing. So it's, it's funny how it's like all the same. It's all connected. Like so many parallels everywhere. Yeah. But there's so many different ways to, to kind of look at that. So hopefully just for anyone listening, whatever, whatever way you want to look at it, if you don't connect with like masculine or feminine, maybe the anxious or avoidant mm-hmm. kind of thing resonates more for you. But yeah, it's interesting to think about like what your default mechanism mm-hmm. is and also take a look at like your percentages. Like we just talked about, I think that's so interesting. So 
when speaking of like when things get hard in business or when there is fear, when there is doubt, I know that you've talked about resiliency a lot and, Mm -hmm. and how it's something that's really required in entrepreneurship. And I, I so believe that as well. Was there ever a time in your business where you were like, I might actually not come back from this. Like, yeah, I might just throw in the towel right now. And, and how did you get past that? Like, what's your personal version of, of resiliency? I would say there have been for sure moments and there have been like isolated situations where I'm like, okay, this might be like, I might be too far gone. Like this, this might be the time in an acute moment or for a day or for a couple days. But I have a like rule with myself that I never make any decisions or make even any judgments. Like I don't even commit to an opinion (laughs) when I'm in a state like that. I also don't make any business decisions when I'm PMSing because sometimes it's like everything sucks. Everyone hates me. Nothing's working. I'm just going to burn it. Like I'm holding the match (laughs) occasionally. So I have, I have a rule where like, I just don't form any opinions when I'm in that kind of headspace, but there have been like, if we're getting into the T, like there, I can think of a time where, um, one time I had this client who was basically just like completely took no responsibility for like her experience within coaching, like never checked. This is when I was fitness coaching, never checked in with me, like wasn't adhering to any of the protocols, um, wasn't actually telling me like what, what she was doing. And then would be unhappy that she wasn't getting results. Right. And so then as coach, I'm reflecting back to her, like, okay, I'm hearing that this is what you want, but here's what you're actually doing. Like, this is what needs to happen, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, she wants a refund. She wants out. She doesn't want to finish her contract, blah, blah, blah. And it's all my fault in her perspective. Um, and that's just not how (laughs) contracts work. And so Um, she threw a huge fit and then eventually she went to another coach and that coach happened to be someone who I considered like my best friend for several years. And she went to that coach, long story short, her and I weren't like talking anymore. We just kind of grew apart, but she blasts me on social media and she tells everyone that I'm basically scamming people unethical based on this false story from the client, right? The, so the client, the client or your, the other coach no, the that client was your friend shares her, her interpretation, the client yeah. shares her interpretation to the previous friend. The previous friend has also a large platform. She shares the client's POV of what happened publicly as if that is the truth of what actually happened. So this is like slander, defamation, disparagement vibes happening essentially. And um, yeah, for a minute, people just believed her. And I had like, I had the receipts, right? Like I, I had the receipts and that's not how it went down. I had to like hire a lawyer. I had to get like a demand letter. I had to do all these things, just like protect myself. And I was like, oh my God, this is This might be the thing, like if people believe her, this might be the thing that I can't come back from, or I can't handle this level of like trauma (laughs) that I'm experiencing right now because she's attacking my character, which to me is like, that is a core wound. Like if you are attacking my character, my values, my work ethic, like who I am as a person, oh, 
that is like, that's so hard for me. And so she's attacking my character. She's attacking my business. This is someone that used to be a friend, just like from every angle. And then also telling a, a lot of people. And I thought, I don't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Like this is, this is bullshit. <laughs> and I don't know if I can do it. And long story short, I'm still here. That was like over five years ago, probably like that was a long time ago. And it's fine. Like not, nothing actually bad happened, but that was probably one of the times where I was like, I, I just don't know if I can keep going after this. And I just kept going and trusted that it would not matter in a month, a year, five years. And it doesn't sometimes yeah. the things that feel so big in the moment, like do not matter. And so I've learned that like my business is like so much stronger and like more resilient than I used to give it credit for. Like if something that like that, that's not even real could bring my business down. Like it's not, it's the foundations are not strong, but they are. So we're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. What would you say to someone who's in those early stages of business? That's like, you know how it is. It's the roller coaster of like, oh my gosh, I'm so motivated. I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then the next day it's like, I can't do this. Like it's not for me. It's never going to work. I'm never going to succeed. What would you say to someone who's in that space where they're like, they're having a lot of those moments where they're contemplating their choice to become an entrepreneur or be an online coach, or they're just like, I don't know if this is, if, if I can keep going, like, what might you say to them to help them with that resiliency? I think this is so cliche, but like as just as a concept, the discipline over motivation conversation is so real of like, if you are relying on motivation to get you to take the actions that you know need to happen to hit your goals, like you're setting yourself up for failure. So it's like, okay, how do I practice discipline? How do I make it as, as like no brainer, easy as possible for me to take the action that I need to take? I think a lot of people are making it like way too complicated or way harder than it needs to be. So that's part of it is like, how can we like grease the track a little and like make it easier for the actions to actually be done. But also we can, we just simply cannot wait for motivation to like hit us like a bolt of lightning. Like we cannot wait to feel inspired. We cannot wait to feel motivated. We cannot wait to feel ready. And it's that like action. Um, I'm also really big on momentum of like, what is just like the first easiest step you can take to get you closer. And if you can do one easy thing, you can do another easy thing. And then you feel like you can do a medium hard thing and you can just keep going. And so I think it's discipline, it's momentum. And then it's also like that support and accountability. Like I know that as coaches, like we have a bias, we have a vested interest in like telling people that having support and accountability goes a long way, but it truly does. If you have someone in your corner, who's not only like giving you guidance and you trust their guidance and their advice, but also they are able to give you that like tough love or that pep talk or that empathy that you need to take action and they're holding you accountable. Like that's just so much of the value of coaching beyond like getting the right strategies and stuff. It's, it's the support and the accountability. Yeah. Especially I think as you kind of, I noticed this for myself in, in my journey of business, when I first started, when I was looking for support or mentorship, it was really about like getting the answers. Like it was mm -hmm. about learning, okay, how do I do this? I need to learn all the things like teach me how mm -hmm. to build a course, like show me how to do this. What are the platforms I should use? It was, it was that like very like question-based, like help me figure this out. But the more mm -hmm. that you kind of like uh, evolve and, and grow into your business and, and step into 
like a CEO mindset, let's say we can kind of dive in and, and talk about that more. Um, but when you, when you have that momentum already moving in your business and you've really established yourself as the CEO of your business, I think what you really then look for in coaching or mentorship is that more like a sounding board, just mm-hmm. like emotional, uh, support. It's the permission to mm-hmm. do something big or audacious or to say no, or set a boundary or to, yeah, have the behind the scenes conversations of wh- how your business is affecting your life, your relationships, your sex, your marriage, your whatever it is, your, your dreams right. for having a family, like all of that stuff that, that entrepreneurship, it just, it really like I didn't understand this until I was in this position, but I think it really changes so many aspects and elements of your life. Um, but the need or desire rather to have that kind of like sounding board and that support is still there. It's just what you're, what you're seeking from it or what you're getting out of it is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The conversations totally evolve. Like I've been with my mentor, Sabrina for three and a half years. Um, and I can't remember the last time she like taught me a new tactic or like taught me a new strategy. Yeah. We'll brainstorm and we'll run ideas off each other and she'll, you know, suggest things or illuminate the blind spots strategically. Like we still have strategy or like execution conversations, but our relationship has so much matured into that like mentorship where it's more about that like deep level of support and understanding. And like, it's so much more about the embodiment (laughs) and those conversations where, yeah, there's a time and a place to be like, I need to understand X, Y, Z principles. But I think that's also why I'm such a big proponent of long-term mentorship is if you're constantly just bouncing around looking for new information, you're never giving yourself a chance to get to that point of depth and like being so supported and known and understood to that level that you just can't get from a six month container or like even 12 months. Like I've been with her for three and a half years and now she's one of my best friends, but like you just, you can't, you can't microwave like that level of understanding. Yeah. And I think there's also a point where you're doing yourself a disservice by continuously just searching for more information, Mm -hmm. like more factual, like strategies Mm -hmm. or things like that. And I think a lot of people get caught in that trap too, of, Oh, I'm going to go over here and I'm do do this four week thing and do this Mm. like low ticket thing and then do this and then this. And then, and it's like, they're consuming all this information from five, 10, 15, 20 different coaches or mentors. Mm -hmm. And that can almost like get overwhelming and confusing. Cause you do reach a point where it's like, you don't actually need more information. You need to do what you know that you need to do and actually just can do it. You know what I mean? Right, like, cause there are so need, many different ways to do it. Like it could work to follow this person's path or this person's path. Like they're all going to the top of the mountain, but if you're constantly jumping from path to path, none of them are actually getting enough like time and like implementation to, to work and in business and really like being good at anything is so much more than like checking a box. Like, yep. Posted on Instagram. Like, okay. But was it good content? Like, was your writing strong? Did you have a compelling like hook? Did you actually hit a content goal? Like, are you actually speaking to your ideal client? Like there's so much nuance too that like, if you're just so focused on like, oh, I need to learn this. And then this next thing in the shiny object syndrome, again, it's that thing of like depth versus like shallow breath and like trying to do a million different things. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay. So last thing that I want to touch on is this piece of CEO mindset Mm -hmm. that I kind of mentioned before, but I know that you're also big on speaking to. So I'd love to know how you kind of define CEO mindset. What are some of the shifts? Like when you start to actually elevate or step into that? Yeah. So I think CEO mindset really anchors into leadership and that starts with how you lead yourself and how you approach life and how you think about your problems and your relationships and your desires. And I find that the biggest thing that's keeping people from like embodying being a CEO is they are so focused on the little stuff or the day-to-day or the like the the small roadblocks or the small hurdles and they are never able to zoom out, see the big picture and actually like orient themselves to the vision. And so they get so hung up on, oh, well, I can't like hire a VA for 15, 20, $25 an hour because I'm only making X amount. But it's like, okay, if you hired this person for that much for two hours a week, how much money can you make by having those two hours back? Or thinking the same thing about, I I can't hire someone to help me clean my house because I can do that myself. Or not seeing yourself as just being like the person that creates your life. I think that's the ultimate form of like being being a CEO is like, how do you see, how do you perceive your role in your own life, right? Like we see the CEO of a business as a person that's like making a decision, aligning the team, like setting the vision, managing all the pieces. But if you're not doing that in your own life, if you're not clear on what you want, if you're not making decisions, if you're not uh, promoting, hiring, firing the people that you want to be around, you're not in control. Like you, you're just experiencing your life. You're not building it. Right. So I think that's probably without like trying to give 57 little examples. Like, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like this idea of like being the boss of your own life. And I think what a CEO really does is they give direction. The CEO doesn't necessarily have to be the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot of CEOs actively try to be the dumbest person in the room. They want to surround themselves with people that are really good at what they do that are, they can do things in their business or in their life for them better than they could do it themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So whether it's like you said, outsourcing the cleaning of your house, because someone knows how to do that quicker and more efficiently Mm -hmm. than you do. Like, yes, you could do it, but they could probably do it quicker and more efficiently in less time than you. Mm -hmm. And then you also get time back. So it's about like that. Yeah. Being able to kind of like give direction also and how you value Yeah. And how you set your values of like, what is my time worth? What is my energy worth? What is my peace worth? Like, I think it's also how you value those things and value yourself is a huge part of that work. And that's why it's like, not, I can't just tell you this is living like a CEO. It has to be like an embodiment. Yeah. 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 I love that so much. Thank you so much, Marie, for coming on the show and sharing all of your, all of your wisdom. I know I loved our conversation so much on your podcast. If you guys haven't tuned in, check out Marie's podcast, um, and listen to our episode. We kind of, this is like part one, part two kind of vibes. Mm -hmm. We jammed on all things business, um, in both spaces, but I love your work. I think you're incredible. You're such an inspiration to so many people coming up in the coaching space. And I'm excited to see more from you. If you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure 
sure you let us know, take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories. Make sure you tag me at underscore Samantha daily and also tag Marie so that she can see you. Let her know what you loved about this episode. If you have a friend who is an entrepreneur or a coach, maybe you want to copy the link to this episode and send it to them in a little text, let them know you were thinking about them and that you think they would love this episode. Before we jump off, Marie, please let everybody know where they can find you, where they can get more information about your programs, how to work with you, all the things. Yeah, I would love to see everyone in my corner of the internet. My kind of central hub, as you probably gathered, is Instagram. Over there, I'm Marie E. Wold. Um, my website is mariewold.com. That's where you can look into all my programs and stuff. And my podcast is Make Bank with Marie Wold. So I'd love to see you in all the places. Awesome. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.